Agalactia directly impacts quality pigs and number of pigs out the door and sows that stay in the herd. We know that that is key to pig performance and throughput. We're committed to doing the best for for our farms and for our customers. So we want to continue to, to promote great lactation health to make everybody successful. Welcome to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive inside the DNA Helix. Welcome to this episode of Inside the Helix. My guest today is Dr. Christine Manquist-Wiggum, a veterinarian and director of health for DNA Genetics and Pill and Family Farms. Thanks for joining us today, Christine. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Christine, you were the first guest on our podcast to have a repeat appearance so far. You were previously on episode two to discuss starting the nursery pig. I mean, how has the podcast changed you? It's had to be difficult signing all of the autographs and you probably had to get extra security. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people really recognize my face <laughs> from the previous podcast, so. Well, they say that fame will do that to yeah. you. So it's good to hear that you're still staying humble and grounded and all of those things and, and still at, at your current occupation. So <laughs> now I wanted to hone in today on milk production and talk about some of the research that you've been a part of focusing on a galactia. Did I say it right? I mean, obviously I know what this is obviously. But for those people at home and, and for those people that might not know what this is, why why don't you just go ahead and explain what this is? Yeah. So agalactia, it's a, a condition where sows have difficulty producing milk. So we, we'll see them dry up after farrowing. So we talk about agalactia, which would be like total loss of milk production or dysgalactia, which would be, you know, a partial loss of milk production. But in general, talking about lactation, how do we improve lactation? Um, and what can we do to, to get our sows to milk better? That's, that's kind of what we're looking at with the agalactia issue. I feel like you saw right through me, by the way, I even pronounced the word that you knew that I was lying when I said that I knew what this, what this was. I mean, you could have given the talk, right? <laughs> well, and, and, and that, that said, I'm prefacing this by, I'll probably mispronounce this several times throughout this podcast, but agalactia, agalactia. So what causes agalactia? Yeah, so there can be a number of reasons why a sow would have a drop in milk production or where we would see agalactia. You know, typically we talk about MMA, mastitis, metritis, and agalactia. And that's a condition um, right after farrowing or a few days after farrowing. Sows, they can get hard udders or warm udders, or you'll see, you know, teats completely dry up. Maybe it's the whole udder or just the back part of the udder. Um, so really anytime after farrowing where we have an issue milking, a lot of times we refer to that as agalactia. Um, a lot of different things could cause this. So mentioned MMA, you know, typically that's tied to an infectious disease process, but it doesn't always have to be infectious. So we know that there's other factors that can cause dysregulation of milk production, you know, thinking about sow body condition. We don't want to have an over-conditioned sow. You'll see utter edema. And issues milking that way. An underconditioned sow, you know, she might be um, using her energy resources towards maintaining her metabolic rate and survival. And lactation comes, you know, second, third down the line. You know, additionally, uh, we might see environment playing a role. So 
if she's not comfortable, she's you know too hot, too cold, maybe doesn't have access to food and water. That can be a reason why she would have issues milking. Um, and then lastly, you know, we also look at, are we putting enough pressure on her? It does require piglets to nurse her in order to, to keep producing milk and to signal to her at the endocrine system to, hey, I need to keep producing milk. Um, so really putting pressure on that sow by loading her up, really challenging her with enough pigs can be another way to help stimulate milk production. Is agalactia, is this a pretty common problem within the U.S. commercial swine herd, or is this something that's it's fairly rare? I would say, you know, it's hit or miss. Some herds can be more affected than others, but it is a problem that, will, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody's faced every once in a while. I, I can tell a little bit about our, our history with it. So I think a lot of the, the agalactia we had seen previously was probably that MMA, you know, an infectious infectious mastitis and resulting in agalactia. And prior to 2017, the regulation of antibiotics in the feed was a little bit different. So we did have some low level of antibiotics there helping treat, prevent this um, MMA condition. And then once we changed our practices there, there was a little bit less protection. And I think some of that agalactia showed up more more frequently and maybe was a little bit more obvious after we had changed some of those feeding practices. Are there any visible symptoms or symptoms that producers can really look for that would indicate, oh, this is definitely, we're having issues with agalactia? Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of depends on what the cause is. For us, it was, you know, about seven to 10 days after farrowing, you'd see just that back half of the udder start to kind of dry up. So you weren't seeing nice full teats. Um, you're maybe seeing a few piglets fall out. I mean, there's no milk, not enough to feed the piglets. You'll see that affected in the litter. Um, but that was typically the the presentation that we saw uh, with the agalactia issue. If it's early on, it's, it's going to be a hard udder. The sow is going to be off feed. She probably has a fever. Um, so that's one important reason to be attentive to sows following farrowing, taking temperatures. Then if she does have a fever, you know, we can get quick, swift treatments in, get that fixed. Um, but this seven to 10 days thing that we were seeing just didn't seem overly responsive to any type of treatment. And, you know, usually ended up in having to kick that sow out, get a nurse sow in for the litter. Not overly detrimental for for a farm, but it was, it was frustrating and right, a lot right. didn't allow us to be at full performance. When I was going to ask that question, you kind of touched on some of these some, but what is kind of the overall impact to a farm? Yeah. I mean, the big things that you're going to see are um, potentially increased pre-weaning mortality. because You're not producing enough milk to feed those baby pigs. You'll see decreased weaning weights because there's not enough milk there to help them get to their full potential. If the sow's affected enough, you'll have to kick out sows. You know, you'll definitely see decreased productivity on your sows, but then also potentially mortality. If this is an infectious disease process that doesn't get addressed, you could result in uh, increased sow mortality. And then overall retention, if you're having to kick out a sow early, you're not going to be able to get that sow bred back and you'll have more more repla- replacement rate issues. Now, I don't know if this is a, a silly question or not, but is this, can this be contagious? And, you know, in some cases, yes, it can. Um, so the, the MMA, that really like hard udder that we talked about early, that can be an infectious disease process. So we didn't touch on that, but uh, sanitation of the farrowing room, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there are different bacteria that can cause a coliform mastitis. So having good sanitation, 
is key to prevention. But typically this agalactia that we see at that seven to 10 days, we don't believe is a real infectious disease process. Christine, you and your research team at Pill and Family Farms and DNA Genetics have been working on, on a variety of research projects, but agalactia is one of those at the commercial level. What are some of the different things that you're looking at? Yeah, so it really, it started up as a case workup. You know, we saw these sows drying up and wanted to do really an infectious disease workup. So that included some tissue submissions, you know, different type of sample submissions, working with different diagnostic labs and uh, different people in the industry to solve this issue. And eventually we discovered through collection of whole blood and then running some PCRs for mycoplasma suis that we did have a mycoplasma suis infection in a couple herds that were also presenting with this agalactia. So then kind of expanded that sampling and saw, okay, the prevalence is actually there. We were going in around 10 to 14 days post farrowing when that stress is high, immunity is low, and able to detect circulating mycoplasma suis in the blood. So it felt like we'd finally detected an organism that was at the root cause of our, our, our clinical signs. One thing we haven't talked about yet is possible treatments for agalactia. Are there any options or things that were uncovered through your research study that, that show improvements or maybe cures or preventative measures for agalactia? Yeah, so we, we, it started off more as um, you know clinically working it up and then pro- progressed into the research study. So initially came in and realized we're fighting a, a bacterial pathogen. So we implemented some different antibiotic regimens. One was, you know, giving something pre-farrow to help reduce the burden prior to farrowing and then running an antibiotic at farrowing when that stress level is high, immunity is low to decrease circulation. So we did, we saw a great benefit to that intervention, but then simultaneously we had a farm undergoing a PERS and a mycoplasma closure. We were running a different antibiotic in farrowing continuously for that and noticed, wow, the clinical signs for, for megalactia have resolved. Um, maybe there's something here. So in that case, that was a, a telmycosin that we were running through the water and realized we needed to do some additional workups. So first we did a field trial at that farm and wanted to see what does implementation of telmycosin in the water do to help with the mycoplasma suis. We had rooms where we ran telmycosin, rooms where we didn't and then looked at production parameters. So following the sows, we saw decreased numbers of kickouts. We saw increased piglet survivability and increased piglet weights at weaning. So that was, you know, just kind of a, a field trial, getting our feet wet with it enough to realize, let's, let's look and see if there's some additional performance and health benefits. So we implemented a bigger study where we were able to flow these pigs through our test farm and track them on an individual level. So we applied the treatment at the sow farm. We had pigs that their dams had received telmycosin through the water continuously in farrowing compared to piglets who their dams received no antibiotic treatment. We then, we weaned them at the same time, around 21 days of age, put them in a wean to finish facility, and then tracked their growth, performance, and health characteristics. No additional treatment was applied at the wean to finish facility, but we did see benefits that lasted post weaning. So first, well, wean weights, we continued to see about a half pound wean weight improvement on piglets that were weaned from dams with telmycosin. But then we looked at how many pigs are we having to treat post weaning? Cause that was a, 
a big thing for us. We need to see the health benefits. And we believe that, you know, in addition to treating the mycoplasma suis, which we can, you know, we confirmed that we were doing that. We weren't detecting mycoplasma suis on whole blood anymore. We're also seeing health benefits to these piglets. So reduction of transfer of pathogens from dams to piglets in farrowing led to a reduction in treatments post weaning. So it was about 30 cents a pig difference actually in antibiotic treatments. And then we saw a reduction in uh, mortality wean to finish. So you mentioned that you started with kind of a field trial and then you kind of went to Mm -hmm. a a broader scale trial. Roughly how many animals are you working with and kind of what was the duration of your study? Yeah. So before we do any study, we do uh, a power calculation and we look at, okay, how many animals or how many replicates, whatever level we're working at, do we need to detect a difference based on what we expect to see? So this farm, we we ended up having around 2,500 pigs on trial where we could, you know, measure intakes and and growth rate. Um, But then you go beyond the clinical trial and you implement it in a field setting, a big field Mm -hmm. setting. So on a large scale. So farms in our system where we felt like we had detected mycoplasma suis, we went in and implemented this protocol and have been able to do some um, SPC charting and just tracking production parameters over time. And when you get to that full level of commercial production, you really do detect a difference. So we felt like, you know, we were able to solve the agalactia issue, resulting in better pigs, improved performance. Yeah, so it looks like you're really seeing some positive results so far. Mm -hmm. What are the next steps for maybe some future research? Yeah, I mean, ideally we all, we want to get to root cause. So we know we've detected mycoplasma suis, but we know this isn't an intervention that's going to last forever. So continued efforts would be on, um, you know, how do we promote lactation? How do we promote decreased prevalence of mycoplasma suis in the sow herd without having to use an antibiotic? We know that the improved performances are seen because we've got greater lactation abilities. And I think that goes back to some of the things we talked about earlier, too. We know we've got a sow that can handle a lot of pigs. We need to push her to that full potential. Um, We know we've got teams that are tuned in to what a sow needs, what those environments need to feel like, making sure we've got feed and water access at all times. If we're doing all those things right, we're able to help promote, promote lactation without having to do broad scale intervention. Christine, research and trials are always great because they really help test new ideas and theories to advance the industry. Why should a producer care? You know, obviously for those reasons I just mentioned, but what are some of the other reasons why a producer should care about research and development? Yeah, I mean, we're all in this together and um, we wanna help our, our our own female, our own system, our own bore. You know, we wanna do research to continue to promote and grow that. But we also, we want to be better every day. So being able to have, you know, we've got this great research team within our company that's got different disciplines. So we're able to drive different topics that are relevant to our system, relevant to others, and uh, want to continue to drive education, smart decisions, and good economic decisions. Now, the motto of DNA genetics is focused on what matters. In a few sentences, why does Agalactia and why, what are some takeaway messages of why this matters to a producer? Mm-hmm. I mean, Agalactia directly impacts quality pigs and number of pigs out the door and sows that stay in the herd. We know that that is key to pig performance and throughput. We're committed to doing the best for, for our farms and for our customers. Um, so we want to continue to promote 
great lactation health to make everybody successful. Very good. Thank you very much, Dr. Christine Manquist-Wiggum, veterinarian and director of health with DNA Genetics and Pillin Family Farms. Also, thanks to our audience for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix. Until next time, I'm Curtis Harms. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms. Thank you.